destroying your weapon. It's chosen you. But it belongs to me. That's all you got, huh? Permission to engage. Don't worry, I got this. Oh, yeah! Rated PG-13, only in theaters August 18th. Welcome, citizens of Gotham, to The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast focusing on all things the Dark Knight and his world. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or X, and Instagram at TFRBatPod. And if you have thoughts, questions, comments, or even suggestions for future episodes of the show, you can reach us by email. Just shoot those emails to TFRBatPod at gmail.com. My name is Eric Carter, and I am your host, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Joseph Fornerado. Joe, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good, bud. What's going on? Oh, you know, just a new DC movie to talk about. That's always exciting, right? A new one. A new one that came quicker than normal, and uh, yeah, uh, an abundance of them this year that we uh, we get to talk about, so... Let's uh let's get going with that. It's crazy how uh we've already had is this the third one? This yeah, show? yeah, cuz we had Shazam yeah. Fury of the Gods and then The Flash and now of course Blue Beetle, which we're going to be talking about today. And then in a couple more months we got another one to talk about in Aquaman uh and The Lost Kingdom. Yeah, hopefully that stays um where it is cuz I know there's a lot of rumors of everything kind of shifting with the writer strike and everything, but yeah, hopefully that stays where it is. Yeah, hopefully so. But yes, we are here to talk about the brand new DC film, Blue Beetle. But before we get there, we would be remiss if we didn't mention uh, who's bringing you this show today. Our partner sponsor in organic priced books. Now, Joe, are there any big graphic novels, collected editions that you're looking forward to soon? Next Tuesday is Absolute All Stars. Um, no, not All Star. Um, Absolute uh, Superman. All oh god, for all seasons. For all the seasons, yeah, for all seasons. I'm looking forward to that. I only own that in a trade. So when they announced that Absolute, I I had my eye on that from day one. So I can't wait to get my hands on that next week. I have my eyes on that one too. I'm going to order. I, I actually, I'll have to check. I think I already pre-ordered it. Um, but we, we also have uh, Batman, the, uh, what is it? Oh gosh. The, uh, the animated series comic. What was it? The Batman adventures. Oh, is that the omnibus? Is that yeah. The, yeah. That comes out. That. When's that come out? I think it's November. I want to say. Oh, okay. So okay. coming very yeah, I, soon. I thought it was a while ago. Yeah, but either way, if you're if you're like Joe and I and you're looking forward to getting a big, you know, collected edition of a comic run or you're looking for an absolute edition, an omnibus, uh, or even just trade paperbacks, 
the best place you can do that is organic priced books. Organic priced books is a small business that looks to bring those savings on these collected editions of comics to you, the consumer. There's a lot of them out there that do this, uh, but organic priced books is partnering with us. The fire rises to save our listeners on these collected editions. So if you use the link in the description of this podcast, you go to Organic Price Books and you use our promo codes. And those promo codes are TFRBATPOD to save $2 off of any order you place. Or if you want to save 5% on your total order of three books or more, you just use TFRBATPOD, ship it together. And again, that link is in the description of this podcast, as well as those promo codes. So make sure you go to Organic Price Books and save on some awesome upcoming titles. Like I said, I'm really excited for those two I mentioned. I think there, there's a there's a Hush omnibus coming later this year as well. Um, so, so much Batman uh, to look forward to, some Superman. And if you're into Marvel, IDW, Dark Horse, they've got it all. So make sure you go to Organic Price Books and check that out. Not only are you saving yourself some money, but you're helping us in the process. And we certainly appreciate that. A lot of you guys have already done it. So again, one last time, Organic Price Books. But to move on from that and into what we're here to talk about today, let's talk about some Blue Beetle. All right, Joe. So, Blue Beetle was released August 18th, just a few days ago, 2023, and it was directed by Angel Manuel Soto. It stars Zolo Maraduena, Adriana Barraza, Damian Alcazar, Raul Max Trulio, Susan Sarandon, and George Lopez, and many, many more. Um, but this uh, the music was done by Bobby Krillick, which I'll just go ahead and say the music in this movie is excellent. And then I noticed, I don't know if you knew this or not, Joe, this movie was released in El Paso, Texas on August 15th. So I didn't even realize that they got a, like I said, was that the premiere? Oh, maybe that's the case, because that would be weird if they got like a, a like a like an early... Um, I don't know if that'd be considered like an early promotion. I don't know, but I, I did not know that. No, I, I mean, maybe it was the premiere. I don't know where the actual premiere was. But you know, the, the funny thing about this is uh, most of these movies we've gotten recently, I, I think I got a preview screening for Shazam. I know I saw The Flash ahead of time, as everybody did. But there was really no like advanced fan screenings or anything that I know of for this movie. Do you know of any? that happened i think there were some on wednesday that's the only thing i remember seeing a few people get early screenings on wednesdays i don't know how they went about doing it but i did see some people on twitter uh talking about that but that's really the extent of it nothing earlier than that and it wasn't a wide like scope like the other films were and i took it as them trying to keep the budget down for this like just try to um 
not necessarily just put it out and, you know, as some people might say, dump it and, and, you know, just cut their losses. I think it was more just because it was a lower budget. Mm. Uh, they saw what happened with the flash and how the buzz was just so big, but it still didn't impact the box office that much. I think with this one, they were trying to just be a little conservative and I don't blame them. Um, no. and I think that hopefully this one, the movie will speak for itself, that it's almost like a pleasant surprise as opposed to this big box office. I mean, this big, um, blockbuster that had such hype that anything could have been a letdown. I hope that this is kind of the opposite. Yeah, I would hope so. Um, but we'll talk about uh, box office and all that in, in a little while. Um, but you and I both saw this on Thursday night, which was the preview screening the night before it technically released. Um, so it's so weird that they consider Thursday's previews preview nights now, but they all release on Thursday. Um, but yeah, so you guys know how we do this. Uh, before we get into spoilers, we want to, because we don't know if you guys have seen it or not yet, so we want to give kind of some spoiler-free thoughts. So Joe, uh, you and I both saw this Thursday, so tell me just some high-level thoughts on this without getting into spoilers. What did you think of Blue Beetle? I really liked it. I think it was a real pleasant surprise. I think I've said that already a few times now, <laughs> but mm -hmm. it really it was just I don't want to even say this as a negative but it wasn't anything mind-blowing it's not something that's going to change the you know the it's not going to change the superhero genre but it was just a really solid family oriented superhero film like it reminded me a lot of other films i think some people might take that as a bad thing but to me i think they took from a lot of films that i really love and took the best parts of those and incorporated it into this new take on you know a hispanic family and a superhero that we have not seen on screen yet you know at, mm -hmm. at least on the big screen and I think they they turned out a really great, you know, whether you want to call it a really good or really great film, I, I think they did something. I, I think it is a special thing that they did. They, I mean, considering the budget was what it was, it was, I mean, I've seen 120 at the high end. The film looks fantastic considering this was originally going to be a streaming movie on HBO Max. I don't think you notice that at all. I think this looks like a film that should have been on the big screen. So either, either it always had that cinematic quality to it, or they um, audibled early enough where you couldn't tell. But I, mm -hmm. I had a blast with the movie. I really did. Um, it had the heart that I'm always looking for with these movies. It, you know, it, the emotion is what brings me back. Uh, to you know repeat viewings if a movie has that emotion and and on top of the humor and the fun then to me that's that's checking all the boxes and i was i was in i mean i was in pretty quickly with this movie uh, it moves pretty quickly and you know I'll, I'll let you talk about it before i take away everything but i i think the pacing is really good with this um i don't know if you want to touch on that a little bit but i i really just think they did everything very um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you know, it, they fit everything in that they wanted to moved at a good pace and it never felt rushed, but it never felt slow. They, they really mm -hmm. did a good job with what they were doing. 
Yeah, I, I, this movie's right at about two hours. I think it's what mm-hmm. two hours and maybe five minutes, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I think this is you know sometimes a movie is too long, even if it's even if it's you know less than two hours. Uh, a less than two hour movie can be too long, or a you know a 90 minute movie or a two and a half hour movie can be too short, depending on the story. Mm-hmm. I thought this movie was efficiently told. I thought it, it efficient was the word I was trying to come up yeah. with before, but I'm, you know, words, words are a loss for me sometimes. Yeah, no problem. Um, I just thought they, they did a lot with the time they were allowed, but it didn't feel like they were overstuffing it. Like it, I think they did a very good job finding the sweet spot for the runtime on this one. Um, because I, I never felt like things were going on too long. I never, I was definitely never bored with this movie. I will say it is a very formulaic origin story for a superhero. Mm-hmm. There's beats we've seen many times before. Um, so it doesn't, this movie doesn't reinvent the wheel. I think uh, you might've already said that, but it, it is familiar, but it's also, uh, it's very unique. Um, and I think the the uniqueness comes in with the family and the dynamic around Jaime and his family. Um, I liken it the whole movie as I was watching it. I kept thinking this reminds me of Miss Marvel, and that's not a bad thing. That oh, if, that's such a great um, comparison. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, and if you if you know my feelings on Miss Marvel, then you know that's a very good thing for me. Um, I. I really, really like this movie. I don't know if I'm quite to the love stage, um, but, but again, I've only seen it one time. So I, I do want to see this movie again, but from what I saw, I had a really good time on Thursday night seeing this. Um, so far as the budget, everywhere I'm seeing says $104 million. Um, There's okay. a Collider article that came out that says 104 So it's a very conservative budget for a superhero film. Um, and... Whether it'll whether it'll make money or not, I, I don't know. Um, but I will say there is a reason that Warner Brothers looked at this film and said, "No, this does not need to be uh, a streaming movie. This needs to be in theaters. People need to be able to see this." And I'm glad they did give it the upgrade because everything looks great. This might be this might be some of the best superhero action I've seen on screen so far as the CGI and the effects this year. Um, the suit looks phenomenal on Jaime. I think the scarab works well and the music is awesome. I love the score. I've been listening to it most of the day between, between work. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of things to like. I do have some major nitpicks and I'm not going to be able to get into those until we get over the spoilers. Um, but yeah, one thing I will say, and I don't think it's spoilery, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. I think this movie was so well done in the aspect of not being tied to one universe or the other. Like this movie, if they wanted to, could conti- uh, could continue on into the DCU. Don't you agree? Uh, completely agree. I think it's kind of a choose your own universe. If whatever mm-hmm. you want it to be fine and it works perfectly well as a standalone that connects to nothing um and i i think that is i think that's what was so refreshing about it was i had talked to you a little bit even before we had seen the film that it was a weird thing i was talking to a friend of mine who came with me to see it who's a pretty 
you know, we like to call a filthy casual. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. He just, he asked me, he's like, do I need to watch anything prior to this? And I'm like, no, it's completely on its own. He hasn't showed up anywhere else. You're good. And I thought to myself, when was the last time we could say that about a movie? Like, I mean, you could kind of say like Black Adam, but you know, Black Adam kind of spins off a of Shazam a little bit. Um, we've had origin films in the DCU, but they've all like, like kind of spun off something else. Like Wonder Woman is an origin film, but she appeared in BVS first. Um, mm. Aquaman is an origin film, but he appeared in justice league prior to that. Um, other than man of steel and Shazam, right? Is Shazam yeah. the only one that like starts from scratch? I, I think so. I mean, there's mentions in Shazam of the wider DC universe, but even that, I mean, it doesn't necessarily tie it to one or the other. Yeah. So I, I just thought that was really refreshing and easy for me to say like, no, you don't have to watch anything. Just come and watch a movie. And I mean, he, he missed out on some of the Easter eggs and that kind of stuff that we'll get into over the spoiler wall that like, I kind of like, you know, smiled at stuff and he like, it went over his head a little bit, but but that's with any comic book film. You don't need that stuff to enjoy the movie, but it it does add to it for us. And mm-hmm. one thing I did want to say before we get over the spoiler wall, I don't think this is spoilery to say, excuse me, as, as formulaic as it is, I heard a lot about how it's a formulaic origin story until it gets to, you know, a lot of the reviews said it until he gets, you know, he becomes Blue Beetle. Then it really takes off. When I watched the film the first time, I was expecting to go like an hour before it became Blue Beetle. And it's not it's the like case. 20 minutes. <laughs> exactly. It's 20 minutes. So that's where I think the efficiency really takes hold. Because I think to me, a formulaic origin, it, it takes, sometimes it takes 45 minutes to an hour. So I like that this, it didn't feel rushed. You get those 20 minutes to fall in love with the characters, which I think it does so well because that's what mm-hmm. sells this movie is you do get to fall in love with those characters first, but then it, it just takes off. And I, I, that's what I really was surprised with is the pacing of the film and the, you know, everything else that goes with it once we get into the spoilers. But I, I really had a lot of fun with it. I did. And um, I know sometimes that fun word can be a bad word, but with this movie, I mean, I, I'm kind of surprised I never made the connection with Miss Marvel because that is such a perfect comparison. It's like a combination I've said of like Miss, uh, I've said Shazam. Um, I think Miss Marvel might be a little better with the, the, the more similarities with the family, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Shazam is one of my favorite DC movies. So anything that reminds me of that is great. I'm with you with Miss Marvel. I thought that was great too. So yeah, it takes from a lot of things that we love and I think it, it combines all that stuff pretty organically for this character. Well, and the other thing that I've heard said a lot is this is, this is a lot like a Marvel movie. And I agree with that, but I will say it, it reminds me of Marvel when I'm enjoying Marvel, if that makes sense. Like when I'm, when I'm having fun with Marvel, this is what it, this is what it reminds me of like phase one Marvel. I would even say. Yeah, I think Andy said that to us the other day. And I, I have to say, I don't know if um I didn't listen to the Holy Backers review yet. Um so he I haven't either. It, 
he may have said it on the review, but I know he we were just messaging back and forth, and he said it reminded him of Phase One Marvel, and I completely agree mm-hmm. with that. That's it's a good specificity. <laughs> there is is Phase One Marvel, not where Marvel kind of got comfortable and and started to veer off a little bit, in my opinion. I think Phase One Marvel is my favorite. Like this reminds me of more of Iron Man. Um, that kind of phase one, you know, or, uh, origin story. And I think that's where I really fell in love with this. And, and yes, there are the obvious Ant-Man comparisons or, or Spider-Man comparisons. And yes, it, I mean, with most of these characters, they all take from each other. That's the comics too, not just the movies. I mean, the comics are very similar in their storytelling. So I think at this point where we've had how many of these movies between both companies over 30 something, if you count the shows 40 something plus properties or at least uh, not properties, but um, content like, you know, whether it be a film or a show, there's going to be overlap. (laughs) There's nothing you can do about it. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I will also say just while we're still spoiler free, um, the representation in this movie, I thought was amazing. Uh, and that you could take that however you want coming from a white guy. Um, but, uh, I, it's kind of reminded me and not on the epic grand scale or, or quality or anything like that, but it, it did remind me of what black Panther did mm-hmm. for, for certain communities. And, and this, I think sheds a wonderful light on the Hispanic community. And the the family aspect there. And I thought they did a wonderful job with that. And I really enjoyed the fact that these the, this family in this film, they actually speak Spanish through the movie. Like it's not them constantly speaking English for us to feel comfortable. No, they actually, they go back and forth. It's kind of like a, almost like a Spanglish thing where a lot of times they are speaking English, but when it's important, when it's, when it's impactful, they're speaking their native tongue to each other. And I love that. I thought that was, not, that was awesome. And it's not geared towards us with even subtitles. Like I, I, even as someone who, yes, I wish I could know what they're saying. You get the mm-hmm. gist of it though, even without. And I like that they didn't, um, they didn't spell it out for us two white guys. Like, no, that's not what this is for. This is for the, the Hispanic people to get these references because that's what they deserve for this movie. They deserve to have yeah. their moments and, and the stuff that they're going to relate to and no one else will. And I, you know, as someone like, like if they ever did like an Italian, you know, something like that or other for me, like where I could like kind of pick out certain little things, like as stupid as it is when I watch Luca with my kids, like I get certain things that they talk on there. Like I, I love that there is that for the Hispanic community for a movie like this. And I loved seeing the, you know, that culture, aspect of this movie because it's it's fun to see how other cultures interact and their families and i and Mm -hmm. you can even as different as we are you can relate to it even from your own culture your own you know perspective and i think that's so much fun because i think it does show that you know we're not and this is corny as hell but we're not all that different you know like everyone has no yeah you know just because it's a different language here and there and we might not get every reference or every little inside joke you could still relate to that with your own stuff and i i love that yeah absolutely agree okay so i think this is a good spot to really just jump over the spoiler wall and get into it um without any restrictions so if you have not seen blue beetle 
I highly recommend jump off here, go see Blue Beetle and come back and, and finish the rest of the ride with us here. Um, but that's where we're going to jump over in three, two, one. All right, Joe. Um, so just to, just to get the negatives out of the way, um, if there are any like glaring negatives that you wanted to bring up, uh, what are those? I mean, it's been almost a week now since we've seen the film. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I think it's a plus that I'm not dwelling on the negatives after seeing the film. I'm remembering more of the positives. Mm-hmm. I think some of the negatives are, I think we talked about like uh, some of the humor. I'll be honest with you. Probably 99% of the humor in this film worked for me. Something about the way it was handled always made me laugh. The grandma at times was hilarious. And then it kind of went a little too far a couple of times, but never took me out of the movie. Um, I thought, what was it? Nana? Is that what was the, you know, she, mm-hmm. was, she was hilarious. I, I loved her. Um, George Lopez never went too far for me. I absolutely loved him in this. Yeah. George Lopez cracked me up this entire movie. Um, I'm, I mean, but if I'm trying to think of negatives, I mean, I mean, I guess the, the villain is kind of a serve the purpose of the film villain. I think he works for the film. I think Susan Sarandon is fine. Um, I don't have a problem with her as an actress in this, but she's not anything, you know, she's not anything memorable. I, uh, so I'll just piggyback off that since she brought it up one of my biggest nitpicks of the movie. And and we, we've already compared it to some Marvel films. I think the villainous aspect of this film was pretty weak. Um, it ha- it has kind of that Iron Man comparison there. It, it, it's got some of that Marvel villain vibe where mm-hmm. sometimes the Marvel villains just don't feel very strong. Mm-hmm. And here like Susan Sarandon, I think she did the best uh, that she could with it, but she's a little too mustache twirling just, yeah evil for the sake of evil for me. And, um, the other, what was his name? I'm sorry. I'm blanking on his name. I've seen it. Like I said, we've seen this one time, uh, Carpax, Ignacio Carpax. So I, I, I like what they were trying to do at the end. Cause they kind of gave him a reason for why he's doing what he's doing because you know, Susan Sarandon kind of trapped him into this life when he was a little boy, but you learn that in very close to the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. Like it's far into the third act when you learn that. And up until then he had just been, it seemed like sort of like Susan Sarandon. He's just bad because he's bad. And then it just felt a little shoehorned at the end that, Oh, now we have this character motivation. It was a little, um, too late for me. Well, I'll, um, I'll actually say I felt like they kind of foreshadowed that. Not to the extent that they went with at the end. I honestly thought I thought they definitely foreshadowed that she had been um I don't know if torturing is the right word, but she definitely took advantage of him and I think that was mm-hmm. pretty clear. I had always taken that the locket that he had, I guess it was a locket, um I was waiting for it to be his wife and his child that had died. I thought it was actually an interesting twist that it was, no, it was him and his mom and his mom had died. And I thought that was pretty interesting. I, 
I'll be honest. I liked the twist at the end. I say twist pretty loosely, but I, I liked that. All right. So I'm taking a negative and turning into a positive here. I do think both (laughs) villains, I do think both villains were fine. Like they're just, they're just there. There's, they serve the purpose of the film. They're, they're fine. Nothing to write home about, but I will say, I love the fact that they're not redeemed to the point of like, we have so much sympathy for them. We don't want them to be punished. I love the fact that, okay, Jaime isn't going to kill this guy because he has sympathy, but he's still a bad guy. And they found a good way to basically have him be a bad guy, kill Susan Sarandon while, you know, ending his own life as well. I personally liked that aspect of it because I think too many times nowadays we are like too scared to kill the villain now. And it's like, all right, how is he going to be redeemed? He's going to be a good guy. I thought this was kind of that perfect happy medium there. And I, I really appreciated that. I'll agree with that. Cause I do think it's at a spot where you can't redeem these, both of these people have done so many horrible things. You, you can't redeem them cause it's not believable yeah. at that point. Um, so I do, I, I do appreciate that. Again, I just felt like, they serve the purpose of being, especially, uh, especially Ignacio. He served the point uh, of being this, this physical threat for, for the blue beetle for, uh, for Jaime mm-hmm. and Susan Sarandon was the, yeah, she was the non-physical, the, the basically the brains behind the operation kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was fine. It's not like it's not like something so glaring that I, I didn't enjoy it. I did. Uh, it just they they felt very, very formulate villain kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that's where the formula comes in with the origin story. No, I'm with you. Um, uh, they're they're fine. They're just there, and that's pretty much mm-hmm. where I'm at. Like it, it's not good. It's not bad. It's just they're all right. Yeah, and it makes you wonder. I think the biggest sticking point for me with Susan Sarandon's Victoria Accord is it makes you wonder how it went so off the rails between Ted Cord, who I I love that we get references to Ted Cord in this movie, uh, being this altruistic good guy, and his sister being just so just bad. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, I don't I don't know how that family dynamic could have mm-hmm. gotten so off the rails. But either well, way, I think um, they, my, wait, don't they, they kind of touched on that where she, yeah, but it was, I, in the, I didn't get what I wanted. So now I'm bad kind of thing. Yeah. I think it was like, it kind of evolved from, you know, oh, they don't want to do weapons stuff. So I'm going to do weapon stuff. And it evolved from there. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's, it's mustache twirling evil for evil sake. I agree, but at least they did acknowledge why. Yeah, she was a she was kind of a, a less less impactful version of Obadiah Stane from Iron Man. She she wanted to do the weapons they didn't want to kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but my other big nitpick was the humor. While I agree with you, most of it did work. There were a lot of laughs in this movie, and it was a fun community movie to watch with other people because. The other people in, in my screening were laughing at the right times. Um, and, but the one thing that didn't work for me, as much as I loved Nana, I t- when she was this this gun-toting badass, for lack of a better <laughs> term, for some reason it just I, I, it didn't click with me. Um, I thought it was a little too much. I loved Nana in the family moments. 
Um, I love her as a character, but the revolutionary badass grandma just, I don't know. It's, it's a stride too far for me personally. I will say the, the conversations about her being the revolutionary grandma worked much better than seeing her in action. I thought the conversations yes. were hysterical, like giving a reason. Cause I honestly thought they were just going to have not Nana pick up the gun and like, just know what to do with it. I actually liked that They gave an explanation. Like, no, no, she was a badass when she was younger and she just still remembers how to do it. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I, I, th- I guess I'm just, and you shouldn't do this, but uh, it's just where my mind went. Um, I'm trying to, imagine like my grandmother <laughs> at her age being able to lift this huge weapon and, and just yeah. cackle and fire. And I just can't, I can't get with it, Yeah, I guess. Um, so, but again, but it, it's a minor thing. Scarab connecting to a boy, completely plausible. <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> that's how my mind works, yep. Joe. I'm sorry. Yep. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's honestly, so far as the super, like the super nitpicky negatives, it's it's the villains and it's the grandma and it's the formula of the movie. Other than that, I I don't have a lot of huge negatives to say about the film. Um, so let's get into the things that we did like. Um, I, I've already said it, but I want to say the suit. I don't remember the last time I saw a suit in a superhero movie like this. And I said, that is perfect. Like I I just thought the mix of mostly practical with some CG here and there, I thought they did a phenomenal job with, with Jaime suit. The blue beetle looked phenomenal on screen. It did. And it looked phenomenal. I I mean, I've complained a lot about the MCU Spider-Man suit because I think the practical suit looks awesome, but then they put this CGI gloss over it to kind of, I guess make it flow better when they're using a CGI model. I'm not really sure. Or the, the mm-hmm. whole nanotech idea of it. Where in this, I love the fact that it looks exactly the same, whether it's the practical suit or the CGI or, you know, when the action is going where it's clearly CGI, but it, it flows so well. And for the low budget that this had, I mean, not to pick on the flash because we defend the flash. We defend the, even the CGI issues with the flash. I think the problem with the flash was that even with the elevated budget, there was so much CGI that there's just so mm. much money and so many resources that you can use to, to make all that CGI look great in this. They refined everything and, and used it where it needed to be to make every action scene look as good as it could be. And Bravo, because it's hard to even look for the seams and pick them out. I thought the action and the CGI on that suit was unbelievable. I love that when it was just Jaime standing there and you could just get a close view of that suit, it looked perfectly real. It looked practical. You couldn't see that it was a, you know, him in a motion capture suit because we know there was a, a practical suit. Um, mm-hmm. I agree with you. It's perfect. And I'll say this, I think there's a lesson to be learned here for blockbuster superhero movies. You do not have to spend 200, 300 million dollars to get an amazing looking film. 
Because I mean, even outside of just the suit itself, the 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 effects and everything in this film just look amazing. I, I I just can't heap enough praise on how good this movie looks. And to your point, talking about Spider Man and, and talking about the Flash, this is not a knock on the Flash and and that suit because I think I love the design of that suit. But at times when you're watching that movie, and it's because of how they built the suit and how he had to move and things like that. But you can tell there's a CGI overlay on that suit and it's glaring. Sometimes you, you can't say that about blue beetle. It, it, they just did such a great job with the budget that they were provided. And, I, and even to think that this was supposed to be a max original, this was supposed to be a streaming movie that then got elevated to that. And I don't know what the budget difference was. I don't have those numbers available, but but to know that those that it went from streaming to theatrical and with this budget and they pulled this off, I think there's a lesson to be learned there. So what it's amazing is that I wonder if because it had a streaming budget originally that they obviously they they wrote the script prepared for that or at least structured the movie around what they thought they were going to be able to do. And then they just mm-hmm. even fine-tuned it even further when they got that little bit of a bump in the budget whatever it may have been and i think even with something like the flash like listen i'm not going to tell them how to script their movie or whatever they 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 make the movie what it is and then whatever resources they have they they put into the movie as best they can and they get the product fine no problem but i think something can be said for the restraint that something like this has or even something like shazam like you don't need effects in every shot of your movie you can you can tell a more you know and it's weird to say grounded story with a blue beetle movie with the scarab and all this crazy stuff going on but they just kind of space out what's needed for effects so they can spend the money when they do show those great effects and i think it shows because it's pretty amazing that we can say the cgi on blue beetle a movie that was supposed to go to Max or HBO Max, whatever, with the low budget that it has looks better than, in my opinion, Spider-Man. Like, it shouldn't be that way. But, mm. yeah, I agree. And it could be a personal choice. Everything is, it's also subjective on what people think looks good and what doesn't look good. But to me, this is what I want from a superhero suit, is I want it to look real. I don't want it to look like, you know, CGI, nanotech, whatever. I want it to look like I can feel it. And to me, that's what I got from this. And I I think they did such a good job with this. And I, I don't want to spend too much time on just gawking over the effects, but I think I think they deserve the praise where um in this case, because I, I think they did such a good job with this. And I, and I think it's because it did blow me away. Because I think we all expected I mean, me personally, I expected some shoddy CGI with something that was supposed to go to streaming. I didn't expect it to look as good as Spider-Man or The Flash. And it's, it, you know, exceeded that, which I, I'm amazed. Well, and to your point, I thought when I saw the trailers, knowing what the budget was, I thought, okay, 
they're showing the big highlights in the trailer so far as VFX. We're going to see some of the seams when we actually watch the movie and that doesn't happen. And it's, that's not even a factor of, you know, and we'll get, we'll go into a little bit of the action here. Um, That's not even a factor of, okay, well they didn't put anything on screen for long enough for you to notice. There's a lot of the scarab on screen. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of action scenes. Uh, The bus, when he cuts the bus in half, looks great there's multiple battles uh between you know blue beetle and um gosh i keep what's the villain's name i keep forgetting caravax 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 yeah um there's there's multiple battles between those two oh man yeah (laughs) but every fight scene looked great i thought there was a ton of action in this movie for the budget that they had I, i didn't honestly expect as much action as they are the first flight with blue beetle looks really good so cool and it's and such a the fun perspective scene. from him. Yeah. Like I would, I mean, I, I don't know. Do you think they used just a drone and got real images of the Scott? Cause it looks so cool. And like, it's creepy. Like watching that, like putting yourself in his shoes, like just seeing the, the, you know, the shot of, of, you know, just the heights that he's at. Like I, I'm not a heights guy. So that was, that was definitely scary to me. Mm-hmm. Um, love the way that was shot. And and I think they did so much practically because they knew they didn't have the budget for CGI. The, the CGI budget that they probably got after the fact was a bonus. So they weren't reliant on it. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about Jaime's first transformation into the Blue Beetle. That is some horror movie level stuff. I mean, there of course, it's, it's cut with the humor of the family, you know... <laughs> It, it comically horrified at what's happening to Jaime, but when he first becomes the Blue Beetle in their kitchen, and you know it's just <laughs> this suit is spreading across his body, and it's <laughs> George Lopez's joke about it went up his ass, killed yeah. me because um, we didn't know where the scarab went, and then all of a sudden it's bursting out of his body, so that that killed me. Um, but yeah, just the way that it enveloped him, it shot him up and, and attached to the ceiling and it's just crawling all over his body. I thought that was so well done and it was, it was borderline scary. Did you, I'm trying to remember where I heard it, but did you hear that the director, I guess is a fan of, um, is it Cronenberg that did the fly? I, I believe so. He basically had said, and I can't remember who said this. I don't remember who had the credit of this interview. I apologize. Uh, so I can't give credit where it's due. But he basically said he wanted to do like a family-friendly version of The Fly. <laughs> and that was like the body horror type of deal with the scarab attaching to Jaime. He wanted that horror, but tone it down a little bit for a family-friendly. But like when you think about what the scarab is actually doing, you could see where he's coming from. Like the fly is pretty horrific and you could see like that body horror aspect of it is so terrifying, but he does it with like a funny overtone to it. But yeah, it, I mean, you put some different music on that. You put, you know, you silence George Lopez in that scene. It is, it could definitely be out of a horror movie. Well, I didn't get the fly at all, but that makes sense um, when you say that. But the first thing I thought of when he was going through that transformation was an American werewolf in London. 
mm-hmm. um, because that transformation has always been just horrifying to me. Like it's just, it's the scariest part of that movie, and it's just it, it, j- exactly what you just said—that body horror element. And that's mm-hmm. just the first thing that popped into my mind. And yes. If, if it had not been for, I think the, where it goes family friendly is yes, it's terrifying, but you've got the family reacting in the way that they are. Yes. Um, so that kind of makes it a little more palatable, I would say for, for a wide audience, but it's so well done. Um, but since we're kind of, t- since we're talking about the family there, uh, one of my favorite parts of this film were the different relationships, whether it be the entire, uh, Reyes family, um, the relationship between Jaime and his father, I really loved uh, the relationship between Jaime and his uncle. Uh, what was his uncle's name? I, I'm so bad with names, um, but you're talking about George Lopez. I'm assuming. George Lopez. Yeah. Um, um, Rudy, Uncle Rudy. Like Rudy. Yeah. I was going to say like Rennie or something, but yeah, Rudy. Yeah. And Rudy was honestly, I think he was a highlight of the movie for me. I loved Rudy. Um, but yeah, just those, and even the relationship that we see develop through the movie of Jaime and Jenny, Jenny Corp. And we have to mention his sister. His sister was, was a huge part. Yeah. And, and some, a few moments of her humor didn't work for me either, but overall, I, agree. I, agree. I like the, the bathroom joke. I didn't think was yeah, that very one, funny. That was a weird start to the movie, and I almost forgot about it because it goes in such a great direction after that. But yeah, that. But I will say it got a laugh in my theater. So sometimes those jokes that don't get us, I think they're gearing towards another audience, which is fine. Well, and that's an important thing to remember. Humor is one of the most subjective things in the world. So yeah. Very much could have worked for her because I do think it got a big laugh in my theater too. But when she walks out of the bathroom and just it, talking about what she just did in there. I was like, eh, just not necessary for me, but yeah. I, I love the relationships and my favorite one. And you know, I've, I've told you this before dads and sons, they, it just gets me when it's mm-hmm. done well. And it was done so well in this movie because throughout the beginning of the movie, they kind of establish that the dad Jaime's dad is kind of the glue that holds this family together. And we get to the, and I was not expecting this. I was not expecting emotion out of a blue, out of the Blue Beetle movie. But when we get to the moment where Susan Sarandon's character, Victoria Court, is attacking the Reyes house, and we've already established that Jaime's father has a heart condition. He's had a heart, he had a heart attack while Jaime was off at college, and it happens again here in this scene while the family's being attacked. And I did not expect them to kill off Jaime's dad. And when he dies, oh man, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I I didn't cry, but I definitely felt a surge of emotion. And I just felt so bad for this family who they're already going through so much. They're about to lose their house. They've lost their garage. And now the dad has passed away. And man, I just thought it was very impactful. It's interesting that you didn't, see it coming because I'll, I'll be honest with you the minute they set up that his dad had a heart condition i'm like oh he's gonna die like i mm-hmm. i just thought like that's how you're setting up the stakes for this film and i will agree with you that in a blue beetle film that they're definitely playing up the laughs i wasn't necessarily expecting emotion like that going in but once they set it up like that 
I was like, oh, okay, I see what they're doing here. And as much as I did not want that the, the father to die for the sake of the family and everything like that, I appreciate when a film can have that to set up the stakes, to give a reason for why this battle at the end is so important to Jaime. And I mean, to show the evil nature of the villains as mediocre as these villains were to give those stakes, I think is really important. And I will say it got me. Um, I obviously know the emotion you feel with the father son stuff. I happen to be with a, you know, one of my best friends watching the film who had lost his father. Um, a few years now it's been it's been quite a few years since he lost his father to cancer but sitting there with him knowing what's got to be going through his head while watching this it got me and it probably would have got me even if i wasn't with him because i you know i'm a pretty big softy obviously but mm. man it's done so well it's done poor choice of words i don't want to say satisfying but man like when you when you tug at my heartstrings like that in a movie like this they let the part play out. There's no, my favorite part of this movie jumping to the end. Well, okay. So after the father dies, mm -hmm. this is the Nana being, I'm sorry. Is it Nana that says this? Nana's the one that says we have to get together now. No time for crying. Crying will come later. It's Nana that says that, right? Not the wife. Yep. Correct. My favorite part of this movie. And I lost it was the end when she says, now it's okay to cry or now it's time to cry. Mm -hmm. I because I wasn't expecting that moment at the end and it was so perfect that to me like like we say all the time like that's bad writing that's bad writing that is some good writing like <laughs> that it is I completely agree with you that was a wonderful moment um it was so beautiful but let me and get back to Jenny to come in there yeah absolutely yeah but let me let me tell you the mo the the setup that I had in my head because I did okay. recognize the setup of the heart attack um, when at the beginning of the movie when Jaime comes back from college they tell him all the bad news and part of it is his dad had a heart attack I thought where they were going I did think that was going to come back but I thought dad's going to have another heart attack it's going to be because that. of the villain and it's going to be you know he's going to be hospitalized it's going to be the driving force for. Jaime to go after the villains. Okay. I did not expect them to kill his dad. Yeah. So when they did, I was like, holy crap, there's actually yeah. stake. There's stakes in this film. Yeah. Um, and when, when you see the dad in kind of the, I don't know what you want to refer to it as it's the, it's the sequence where like Jaime's on the verge of death and he sees his dad. Um, I love that moment so much. And I love that his dad tells him, you know, this was my purpose. You know, I was, I was meant to go on this journey to be here for you now. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember exactly what he said, but along those lines, and it made me think of a few things. It made me think of the ancestral plane in black Panther mm -hmm. um, where T'Challa gets to, you know, talk to his dad. And it made me think of Jonathan Kent as well. Because there's been multiple iterations of Superman where when Jonathan does die, he is that, you know, that that spectral visitor for Clark mm -hmm. in his yeah. most in his deepest and most personal moments. And that's that came to mind for me. It reminded me because you and I are, are in the midst of watching Smallville, mm -hmm. uh, me a uh, many time rewatching you for the first time. Um, 
there's a moment, and I don't know if you know about this. I'm sorry, Joe, if this is a spoiler for you because you're watching it for the first time. But there's a moment at the end of Smallville where he gets that Clark Jonathan moment again. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me that of that so much. And that is the one time in this movie that I got a tiny bit choked up. Yeah. So the, I, I thought they did it wonderfully. Well, it, the black Panther comparison is obvious. And I, I could see people being like annoyed by that, that like uh, quote unquote, they stole it from black Panther. Listen, black Panther is not the first movie to ever do that. <laughs> like, no. I mean, this has been a thing forever. It's a religious thing. And, I love the fact that you could take it either way. If you're a religious person, yes, you know, they're, they're basically at the gates and, and their, their loved one is telling them it's not their time. Or you could look at it in a, in a, um, a non-religious sense and just take it as, you know, whether it be a dream or just a remembrance of how their father, you know, talked to them. And, and it's just, you know, having that sense of, what my father would say to me at this moment and, and knowing that it's not my time to go yet, but my father is always going to be there with me no matter what. It's a beautiful moment. I don't care that they took it from something else or it reminds you of something else. Um, why like what, um, what's the saying? And that was uh, not a negative for me, by the way. No, I'm, no, no, no. I'm not saying you, I have heard it from other people though. And I, I just disagree. Hmm. Cause yes, it does remind me of that, but that's okay too. Like, I mean, so are we going to criticize Black Panther from stealing from Lion King? Like nobody, criti- you know, like, I mean, it, these are all stories that are based off of old stories. That's what comics do. That's what, you know, folklore does. Everything does that. It's okay. Well, the, the amazing part about that is um, as someone who has lost their dad, there's a lot of moments in life where you think, you know, what would, what would my dad say to me in this moment? Mm-hmm. Or, what would his reaction be to this or what advice would he give here? And I love that this medium gives them the chance to actually realize that and and get that moment that I wish I could have. Um, So anytime that's done well, I I love it and it's no different here. I, I agree. And I love that it works for someone like you who unfortunately lost their dad at a young age. And and for someone like me, who I'm thankful that my dad is still here, but it's hard to not think about a moment like that, knowing that one day my dad won't be here. And I hope to have a moment like that. And I, I, you know, dread the day that I will have to think about moments like that. I mean, it, it works on every level you can imagine because we've all lost someone or love someone enough where we're worried we're going to lose them someday. And mm-hmm whether it's from another movie or reminds us of another movie or not, uh, they're still hitting us in that core emotion. And that's what I appreciate the most. We're talking about a blue beetle movie and we're both getting choked up thinking about it. Like that's, that's what makes these movies live on. I'm sorry. Like that's what makes these movies remember, um, (laughs) memorable. Sorry. Um, like it's, I, I can't say enough things about the DC universe as a whole always finds ways to hit us with the emotion. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what's missing from a lot of the quote unquote cookie cutter movies that we get sometimes today is that they're, they're not giving us that little bit more that we desire to make us really appreciate them. And, and, you know, I think that kind of stuff is what makes me forgive some misgivings where sometimes people would rather have the humor to forgive the misgivings. I, I personally would much rather have the, the, uh, the heart. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So another moment I, I, I do want to bring up is I love that this movie goes out of its way to not only highlight our current Blue Beetle, um, but also look back at, at the former version of Blue Beetle in a very respectful way. I love that we get, you know, we get the bug. Ted Cord's mm-hmm. ship. We get his his cave, for lack of a better term, uh, which looks awesome, by the way. We get the we get to see the old Blue Beetle suits, and we get a lot of backstory about Ted Cord, and that's fantastic to me. I I like that. There's um, you can tell that when we're in the the Blue Beetle layer, that it's it seems like it's from a bygone era. Mm-hmm. And that's just so cool. And I love that not only do you see all this stuff, but they implement Ted Cord's tech later in the movie because the family needs a way to fight too. And they use Ted Cord's tech. And don't um, they even, do they call him like a poor man's Batman or something? Like, <laughs> like they, they, they make joke some about joke that. about that, which I did find very funny, but it's more like, it's like the, like he's not as rich as Bruce Wayne. So his tech's a little bit less than Bruce Wayne's tech, but I, which I thought was really good. And I love that they gave some nods to Dan Garrett too. I think they did a good job of, of balancing the two, but obviously Ted Cord is the focal point. Mm-hmm. And th- once again, they use the reference that, uh, did Dan Garrett in this movie? I can't now I'm, now I'm questioning my questioning myself. Did he use the scarab? I can't remember. Oh, now I can't remember if he used the scarab or not, but he's the one that discovered the scarab. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think they they did go that Indiana Jones route with Dan Garrett again. And I I will say while we watched this movie, I thought to myself, I'm so glad we watched those Brave and the Bold episodes because man, like there was some really big nods to those episodes in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love. I mean, just we're going to the post credit scene, but in that post credit scene, you get that hope that if this does continue, we might see Ted Cord in the future. So that's really fun, and I don't know. I don't know if you saw this or not, but the, yes, I did. the The director even he said he wants Jason Sudeikis as Ted Cord. Ted Lasso is Ted <laughs> and Cord. That is perfect. How awesome would that be? So it's it's funny because I I do think that's great. Um, but I will say, as someone who I think Ted Cord's death is so important, it's weird for him to be missing for let's say 20 years, whatever it's been. And then to bring him back, it's almost like, well, you can't kill him now. Cause he's been gone for 20 years. Like, what are you going to do? Bring him back to now kill him again. But I, it's a little ant man. Like <laughs> he's been stuck somewhere and can't get back kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a nice moment for the post credit scene. Agreed. I'll say that. And it, and if it never, I mean, if they never do anything else, it's, it's a fun little Easter egg yeah. that Ted cord is still out well, there. The mid credit scene wasn't as good as the post credit scene. I don't know if you stayed for the post credit scene. Oh gosh, I did. That I was such you. a waste of time. I did warn you, you. You did warn me, but I got to stick it out with these things at least the first time. <laughs> yeah, I, stuck I it don't out think there. I'll ever waste my time in the future. Oh gosh, for okay, we're over I, the spoiler, so I can I say it. Love, for anyone, I love that kind of stuff, though. To be honest with you, like yes, I'm like I'm like oh like I didn't need to stay for that. I like when they kind of like oh, like they kind of um just punk you with the the, the post credit scene because it's like they know we're all like waiting for something like so relevant like everyone makes fun of the was it the spider-man one where it's like so you you thought there was going to be something else with captain america whatever the end of that mm-hmm. one was i actually yeah. personally love those like because it's like we don't need anything else like go home people <laughs> it's ferris bueller oh absolutely is what it is absolutely 
But yeah, it's a, it's a little animated scene. You do not need to stay for it. It has no bearing on the story or any stories going forward whatsoever. So yeah, Joe warned me and I'm hard headed and I stayed until after the credits. I, I think would. I was the only person in the theater that stayed. <laughs> and um, so, so there's there's funny so that joke what's funny i'm sorry just uh, real quick um what's funny about that is like the custodians for the theater they were standing there at the entrances looking at me and i could tell the way they were looking at me they were like look at this idiot just just get out of here dude this is not worth your time i want to tell him so bad but i don't know how to tell him yeah yeah There are two. There are two things that I thought were hilarious, but I didn't get either one of them. It's one is that cartoon. Like I don't get why that was funny during the film. I don't know if it was a. I don't remember what the reference was for that cartoon while we were watching the actual movie. But then there was also they kept making a joke about. I guess it was the Spanish soap opera. Yeah, which I love. So, that they don't explain that joke to us. Like you get it, but you're like, oh man, I wish I got this better because I don't understand it. But I love that they don't like talk down for us i think it's hilarious that the hispanic people that watch whatever show that is are like oh that's hysterical so the only reason i i i know a little bit about this is because i north carolina has has quite a large hispanic population and that's where i'm originally from um and (laughs) so we had a hispanic firefighter when i worked for the fire department that loved watching telemundo Mm -hmm. and telemundo is primarily Soap operas. Oh yeah, I know what Salamundo so, is. Like that's that's a big thing around here too. Yeah, and the the cartoon, the reference back to that was that's what uh, Uncle Rudy used as the security car distraction. He plastered that all over that's the security right. cameras. Yes. Yeah, so it was a little bit of a callback to that. But yeah, that it, it reminded me of watching. I don't know if you remember Muzzy, um, in. In uh, I took Spanish in high school, so we watched a lot of Muzzy, which mm-hmm. was a it was a Hispanic cartoon that kind of helped you understand Spanish, teach you Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's the first thing that I thought of when I saw that. It, yeah, I didn't need to see it in a post credits. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the the Ted Cord Tech. Going back to that, how awesome was the bug? Oh, the bug was so cool, and I I love the. I mean, I know people could say like, oh, how do they know how to fly? And I, that stuff never bothers me. I think it was so much fun seeing the family in the bug and seeing them try to figure out how to fly. The, okay, that was one joke that I thought was rough, was the fart joke. The fart joke? I'm trying to remember. Oh, when they attacked the... The bug farting the, was like blowing up everything. Like the, the flame yeah. coming out of the bug's butt was like... He literally hits like a fart button or something. Yeah, but... Post that when they actually went into the bug attacking all these bad guys and the the music kicked in. I can't remember what song they were using at the time, but oh man, it was a it was a good needle drop. I was a little concerned about that because it was a needle drop, and I'm like, oh, Joe's not gonna like this. No, because it was done only <laughs> once or twice in this movie, and I I want to say they did a couple like with Spanish versions, which I appreciated. Um, I'm trying to was it. Oh, was it Motley Crue? What was the final? It was a, it, was it like an eighties metal band though? I don't remember now. It may be. I think so. Yeah, I think you're I right, but I, I can't remember. remember exactly. I don't remember who it was. But yeah, I the the another another thing that I thought was hilarious in this was the re- running joke of uh, Uncle Rudy's truck being destroyed. <laughs> 
Um, as they use this to try to, they, they took Rudy's truck, Jaime and Jenny take it to the city to, to get into court industries and they bring it back and it is destroyed. Well, just the love of his <laughs> truck was the best. Like I, I love how much he loved this truck. And it was a Toyota Tacoma that he called Taka, which I really, Oh, I didn't even I, I like get that. that. I knew he called it Taco, <laughs> but that's even funnier now that you explain it to me, which is pretty sad. But, um, I love that like in the beginning he's honking with his knee while Jaime is walking mm. up to the job interview. Like that was really funny. Like I, yeah, the, the truck was hilarious. Yeah, it, it absolutely was. And there's, there's a lot of little moments like that. And you were talking about like the, the joke about, um, Ted Cord being a poor man's Batman. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of little DC universe references in this film. Yeah. I told you, and I don't think you caught this, but when you get that first establishing shot of the city, you see, of course, Cord Industries is is up front and prominent. But I saw LexCorp in the background, which I thought was a really cool little nod um, because you get like these satellite locations of LexCorp. Now was kind of like you get was Wayne. it a generic logo? I, I I'd have to watch it again, but it did look like the the BVS LexCorp logo. Oh, really? Okay, that's interesting. I mean, but I, I, that I think I have, like, oh, now it has to be in. Like, I don't care about that. I just think it's cool. that yeah. they would have used that. But there was a lot of other little references in the movie. Like we got the Gotham Universe or the Gotham Law. Yes. That's where Jaime went to school yep. um, for law school. We also, th- there was a mention on the Hispanic radio station that they were listening to that Bruce Wayne popped in there. I don't know if you noticed that, but they were covering some news story in Spanish and the only English there is Bruce Wayne. Oh, I don't think I caught that. Yeah. So there's a lot of little instances like that sprinkled throughout, but again, they don't establish that this is the DCEU or any kind of established universe. So it could be any, but I do like that. They mentioned, I mean, they mentioned the flash and central city. So there was a lot of little nods to the greater DC universe, whatever this one falls into. Well, did you see what the director came out and said today? I I actually messaged you about it prior to recording. I don't know if you saw it or not. Apparently in the beginning, a green lantern is what shoots the scarab in the first scene with the scarab. Really? And I don't remember that at all, but he said, when you go back and watch it a second time, pay attention. There's a green lantern in that scene. I don't know. Ooh. Um, I don't know if it's like just him saying it more than like you actually see it, but that's his description of it. I don't know. Cause I didn't notice it when we first watched it. But I thought that I was didn't really notice cool. that. Yeah. But uh, since you did bring up the scarab, and I know we've talked a lot about the suit and the transformation and stuff, but I I I like that the scarab actually gets a little bit of an arc in this movie, um, because in the beginning, you know, when mm-hmm. the scarab takes over Jaime's body, the scarab is ready to use lethal force. <laughs> yeah. And there's just this, these hilarious moments where uh, Jaime is is rebelling against the scarab and doesn't want to do any of that. And then at the end, when Jaime is so angry at uh, at the villain and he's ready to just end it, the scarab is the one that pulls him back and says, Jaime, we don't kill. And I yeah. love th- it's It's actually like, a, um, I would say it's more of a symbiotic relationship than Venom is with Eddie Brock because Venom's ready to kill anytime. But this scarab 
through this symbiotic relationship with Jaime has actually learned. And the scarab is the one that pulls him back from going too far. And I really like that moment. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's exactly what it is. It's more symbiotic because you're right. He's learning the, the scarab is learning from Jaime and now understanding where Jaime is coming from and doesn't want Jaime to do something that they're both going to regret because they're learning from each other, which is really cool. I, I agree with you there. Um, again, maybe a little corny because, you know, we have to show that our superheroes do not kill even, you know, even now the scarab is learning not to kill, which you, I could be honest. Sometimes it does annoy me that they go out of their way to be like, we don't kill, we don't kill, but I, I get it. It's a hero thing. You're not supposed to kill anybody. But, the family um, did not have that same restraint. <laughs> no, there are definitely people dying when the bug <laughs> is shooting everybody and everything. It's, you know, comic superhero loopholes. You know, it is what it is. The, the, the bug even steps on that guy and it like, Oh yeah. He keeps going with the leg as it's walking. And it's like, Oh, yeah. that, that guy is definitely dead. Um, but yeah, were there any other um, big highlights you wanted to bring up that you can think of? Um, I mean, if we haven't already, I mean, we talked a lot about the family. Obviously, um, what's the actor's name that plays Jaime? Because he he does do such a great job carrying this film. Um, Godzilla? Yes, he's so good in this. But I, I want to give credit to Jenny. And again, uh, you know, trying to gauge these films with like, uh, you know, going with a friend of mine. I love going with people that don't normally see these movies, or at least I don't see them with these people. I usually go alone, but I've, I've been lucky enough where I've been going to the movies with a friend of mine. Now that's been around lately. And he, he appreciated Jenny so much because, Mm -hmm. and I agree. She is not the typical damsel in distress at all in this movie. She's act. She's, a great actress. I don't know who she is or what she's from, but I thought she did a fantastic job. She's funny. She, she's not the damsel in distress, but it's also not a beat you over the head. I'm not a damsel in, damsel in distress. It's just very natural, very, you know, just organic. She just was such a great character, you know, um, you know, the humor between the two of them, I loved how like she gave him the scarab, you know, everything just felt very natural with their relationship in this. I loved it. I, I, I did really appreciate her as a character, not knowing how they were going to handle that throughout the film. Um, I will say some of the humor is a little much with the, with the kissing scenes that I thought, but they did get very big laughs without going into that too much. Pushing the boundaries of PG thirteen. I thought those were. I thought that was. I. I actually thought those were pretty funny. I thought it was I, vague I, enough. I where I where will say childish, yeah. super childish. But I did laugh both times. Um, the first one because it caught me so off guard. I did yeah. not expect it. But then the second time when the scarab is talking about it, I thought that was hilarious. Oh yeah, when she, when the scarab tells him, um, "Hi, May, I'm <laughs> something about blood flow or something." Yeah. I'm sensing that blood is rushing to your mid region. <laughs> <laughs> like so funny, so stupid. Um, but I, I, yeah, I just thought she was a really cool character. Um, so, so I think I this was. I think this is her first big American role. Um, she's okay. been in a she's been in a lot of uh, Spanish speaking roles. Mm-hmm. Her name, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but it's Bruna Marquezine. And uh, yeah, I th- I agree with you. I thought she was great, and I thought her and uh, Zolo had a lot of chemistry as as Jenny and uh, Jaime. Yeah. 
So yeah, I agree. That's a great point. Uh, anything else that you, I know that we're going to miss things, but is there anything else that comes front of mind? No, I think we hit on most of the, the big points. I know we talked a lot about the, the CGI and I, I, the, the, the heart and the humor, but I think those are the, the big sticking points for us with these, with this movie. Like that's the stuff that really impressed us. And I think they're the most important parts of this film. I really do. And I can't wait to watch it again. We both have said we're bummed that we're not going to be able to get to see it again in the theater. But um, I think this one is actually coming to disc sooner than later, because from what I understand, they kind of make these decisions prior to the film being released. So I want to say the disc is already coming out in like October. Which is great because I can't wait to have it at home and watch it again. Agree. All right. Well, that seems like a good place to wrap it up here, Joe. So you know what's coming. Um, give me some final thoughts on Blue Beetle and give me a Batarang rating. And I won't hold you to this because we've only seen it once. But just on your initial viewing, what's that Batarang rating? So I, again, I really, really like this movie. I think it's one that I could end up loving over time because of the, the fun aspect of it. It might be a fun one to just kind of throw on and, and kind of have on in the background too. Um, I, this seems low to me, but I think it's a fair rating. I'm going, I, I've been stuck on seven and a half, mm-hmm. seven and a half out of 10. I, I, I try to range it where I base it off of the other movies in the DCU. Um, like if I'm ranking, like, okay, if I'm going to have it here in the ranking, where are those other films in my, my like Batarang ratings? But I'm, I mean, I think eight is love. So I think I'm at seven and a half. It's like just there. And I, I, I think it's a good seven and a half. Like to me, seven and a half, that's still close to four out of five, you know? Yeah, it's I'm, like 3.9 out of 5. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, this is a movie, again, I, I don't think there's any, it's not earth shattering. There's no new ground broken here um, so far as storytelling or a superhero film, especially an origin. Um, however, I do think it's very refreshing that it's a, it's a very family friendly film. I think there's, it's a four quadrant film that um, you can sit down with your family and enjoy. And that is refreshing to me. Um, I think the effects are amazing. Once again, I, I, I think one of the biggest reasons I do want to see this again is just to really take a look at, at those amazing special effects that they had, especially on the budget that they were working with. And I think the performances all around are really good uh, outside of the one note villains. Um, but yeah, it's one that I can't wait to see again. And I reserve the right to change this rating in the future. Um, but for now, for me, this is a solid seven out of 10 batterings. Um, I, I kind of looked at it like you did. I was looking at kind of my other rankings of the DC films and, and I don't know where I would put this on my list of DC films yet. Um, but as of now, yeah, seven out of 10 batterings for me on blue beetle. So, Joe, we have come to the end of another review uh, for a DC film. It's always fun when we get these. And we have another one, again, coming soon in December, as long as everything holds uh, with Aquaman. So can't wait to get to that one and get another review out there. Um, But thank you, Joe. This has been a lot of fun. uh, And I, I look forward to revisiting this one soon. But until we come back again, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you out there on social media? 
You guys can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd as jforn 11 and on Facebook as Joe Fornarato, F-O-R-N-A-R-O-T-T-O. Awesome. And as for myself, my personal accounts can be found on Instagram, Letterboxd, and X, or Twitter, at mecarter89. That's mecarter89. The show can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and X at tfrbatpod. Once again, if you have uh, any thoughts you want to send to us, you can shoot us an email. That's tfrbatpod at gmail.com. If you're looking for a way to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. If you do leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts, we will read those on the show as well as the emails that you send in. If you're looking for another way to support us, we don't ask that you spend a dime on this show. But if you'd like to, you can go to redbubble.com and search shop TFR, all one word, and find our awesome logos created by Justin Kowalski on all kinds of cool merch there. Our theme song was created by the very talented Gaurav Venkateswar, and his work can be found on gvtunes.com. Make sure if you're looking for an awesome new book, go to organicpricedbooks.com. Their link is in the description of this podcast as well as our promo codes so you can save some money and support us at the same time. But until next time, uh, for myself and Joe, thank you so much for listening and make sure you keep that bat signal lit and pointed skyward. Batman was created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane and is the sole property of Warner Brothers Discovery. The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast, is in no way associated with Warner Brothers Discovery, DC Comics, or DC Studios. The thoughts and opinions of the participants of this show are their own and do not represent the companies that they work for. Thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. I've seen worse. Where? You don't want to know. Okay, what the hell is this thing? It's it's called the Scarab. It was given to my dad when I was a kid. Um, it's some kind of a world-destroying weapon. Oh, that's nice. Oh, nice. He said... What? And did you know what was going to happen to my brother when you stuck him with this world-destroying thing? No, I swear to you, I had no idea this would happen. Oh, I mean, come on. My father said it can't be activated by just any person. He has to choose you. So I'm guessing it's chosen you.